Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And today, more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. When your name's unreasonable, you are going to be really surprised at the ideas, the impact, and the velocity of innovation. Here's part two of our dazzling conversation with Daniel Epstein, founder and CEO of The Unreasonable Group. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you work with high net worth family offices and ha- ha- does that is that different structure and, and how does that work? And then after we finish this, I've got some idea for you. So uh, and on the investment side, I would say by accident, uh, we've built one of the best deal flow engines on the planet. If in terms of private equity, whether or not you even care about impact and obviously that's all we care about, um, but they're just outperforming. I am, uh, you know, what a typical portfolio would look like. And so um, we work with about a thousand uh, sources of capital. Um, those could be uh, private equity groups, sovereign wealth funds, family offices, individual investors, um, corporate venture funds. Uh, and we're constantly connecting our entrepreneurs into you know, values aligned sources of financing to help them scale. Um, but what happened was um, we realized that individuals <laughs> like like us, I guess, uh, we can't participate in those uh, investment opportunities. And, and so what I, one of my teammates, her name's uh, Pratiba, um, also in New York. Um, she's brilliant. Her background's in banking and she, she runs our investment group right now. And, and she was yeah, passing opportunities. I am, you know, like zero mass water, uh, the atmospheric water generation technology that Hold clean drinking water out of the air with solar panels. Um, and she's passing them to BlackRock or Blackstone um, or Barclays, you know, whoever it might be. And she sat back and she said, "These are the this is the best investment opportunity I've come across. Why can't people like me invest? People like her, you know, working professional. She's a mom, woman of color. Uh, she's not a billionaire, right? I and and that led to the genesis of the Unreasonable Collective, uh, which is a new initiative where we're working with individuals." who want to be able to invest into these game-changing growth stage companies, but normally wouldn't get access to them or couldn't afford the minimum. Oh, that's great. And so we see now, has that been launched? That, that just launched, actually. We just, we just closed and announced our first uh, syndicated deal um, into a company called Air Protein, uh, which is making, like, quite literally making protein and meat out of the air. Um, and you can go to airprotein.com. <laughs> um, but we did just uh, close our first syndicate there and just launched. So we're, we have... Um, like about 40, 40 members um, uh, kicking off this year right now. 
So I, if I want to invest, I better talk to you offline. Would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Would love to. I mean, <laughs> That'd be great. Selfishly for me though, it's true. It's like, I'm working with all these companies. I'm like, can I, can I put 10,000 in? And they're like, no, you cannot. But now we can. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Which is really exciting. Oh, okay. That's going to be, that's going to be an outcome of the, of this uh, podcast. Like how many investors at, you know, $10,000 increments can we add in? Maybe it's, it's the purpose collaborative will have a subgroup. Of, of, of our reach. Yeah. It'd be fun, Carol. Well, the, the only other thing I'll say is, yeah, we're trying to democratize access uh, and thereby give more support to these companies as well. Um, but uh, the, uh, you know, bare minimum goals that we have there in terms of you know, changing the demographics of who has access is at least half of our members are women or people of color. And that's a bare minimum. And same, same of the CEOs that we support through the syndicate as well. Um, and so it's, it's a cool cadre of individuals. I love, I love that idea. So I'm going to give you an idea. So as an employee benefit, and I know Kristen's going to go, yeah, yeah, that we will on an annual basis or one time take a certain amount of funds in their name and invest it with oh, you. Oh, cool. Love that. Yeah. How cool that is that? That would be really fun. Okay, you, can, you, can have that, you can have that idea. I, I love, <laughs> it. love that idea. So you give a lot of speeches and you talk about um, the future of capitalism. And um, by the way, do you know the guys at Just Capital? Do you know Martin Whitaker, the CEO? I don't. I feel like I should. Oh, my God. I have to, <laughs> I have to introduce you guys. Oh, my God. They're, they're totally inventing oh, the future of capitalism via data, a lot of data and programs and such and um, a lot of research. I'll introduce you because you will love them. I would love that. Uh, he talks a lot about, you know, stakeholder-based capitalism. But what are you seeing? And as more and more companies are coming to you, I'm just curious about, is there just a shift in the view of the C-suite and that they really get it? Our, our goal, to your point, is to repurpose capitalism, inject purpose back into it. I'm, I had, the belief here is that capitalism is a tool. It's the most powerful tool in our tool belt. And uh you know, a hammer can be used to build or destroy a house. And so capitalism is the same thing, right? <laughs> so how, how do we lever business to build a more just society, environmentally and socially? And I think what's happening is, um, I think the C-suite's actually always been people who care, but they had so much pressure to typically report on quarterly financial earnings. And if not, they're ousted, right? The average tenure for a public CEO is less than four years. Um, and I... What's now happened is the, the boards and the you know, pension funds that have significant stakes in these public companies, I am, they're starting to say, you know what, actually, yeah, this work matters. Like, let's, I, you know, let's, let's reform the business model so that we're proud of the impact that we're having out in the world. And so I think the C, but I really feel like the C-suites kind of always wanted to do that, but the pressures haven't been there because of the public markets. And now you're, you're starting to see that alleviated a little bit, or, or you're starting to see more so that businesses are realizing and boards are realizing that actually, if we don't change our ways, we're not going to exist in the future. So now it's, it's not just a, moral uh, imperative it's a business imperative right to actually make the shifts so you know example we're working with with shell out in the uk to look at how do you transition the uk you know branch of shell to carbon neutrality uh, they know that the fossil fuel industry is not going to be the future of their business 
I think, but I think it's because the, the boards are now acknowledging that and the pension funds who are owning these companies are acknowledging that, that now we're seeing the C-suite actually be able to bring them whole self, like their full selves to their job, right? Um, instead of having to uh, leave part of that back at home. But for Shell, are you, are you again, bringing your novel approach to bringing in um, entrepreneurs and having them fund it, and then they have access to ideas. How does the um, how does that work in terms of access to the ideas, the IP? Yeah, so so the I, IP is always, of course, owned by the by the entrepreneurs. I am now. I'm, we nobody signs an NDA. I am in any of our programs. Nobody can um, because then we can't we can't have real conversations. Uh, in, in essence, I'm and so. Um, we create yeah, a genuine you know, spirit of trust and collaboration and the entrepreneurs will share as much as they feel comfortable sharing, but we've never had an issue in the last eight years of doing this of IP infringement. We've never had a lawsuit. We've never had any contention there. And I don't know how, <laughs> in some ways, maybe we've gotten really lucky, um, but what tends to happen is I, you know, the entrepreneurs are an expert in a very specific technology and the partners are experts in different ones and they find ways to collaborate. And sometimes they license, sometimes our partners will license the technology, become a customer for our entrepreneurs. Sometimes they'll form a joint venture together and kind of combine the IP. But um, it's just, it's fascinating that it's never been an issue, which it's a great question, um, but, it, but it hasn't come up yet as, as a problem. Oh, well, good. Well, I, again, I bet it goes back to your values. And I think that you're creating this, that collaboration and it, it helps to scale. And so there's an essence in it that everybody, it's, you know, it's like, dare I say, strange idea, to dog park. <laughs> I have no idea how <laughs> dogs so can like go into a dog park, like the big ones, and they play. And they, just, they don't have fun. It's so they weird. just accept the rules. No fighting because it will ruin it for everybody. There you go. <laughs> okay. So see, I'm, I'm building off of you on the, on the hammer can build or destroy Let's take a pause before we close our conversation with Daniel to talk about our latest in the know. About a year ago, I interviewed Tony Cervone, Chief Communications Officer for General Motors. I was fascinated by the shift that Mary Barra had taken that organization. Their purpose was very aspirational, moving humanity forward. And then they had an operational theme line underneath it. Zero, zero, zero. Zero emissions, zero fatalities, and zero congestion in cities. Now, I was wondering, those are really high-level goals. How are they going to get there? Well, in this week's In the Know, I was thrilled to read that Mary Barra, CEO of General Motors, had taken a substantial step towards the first zero, zero emissions. She has made the declaration for General Motors, being the first U.S. automobile manufacturer, that they will have zero emissions um, in their automobiles by 2035. As well, the entire company will become carbon neutral, including operations, five years after that. The Detroit automaker's push into electric vehicles has gone into overdrive. GM has already announced it will invest $27 billion 
and electric and autonomous vehicles in the next five years, a 35% increase over plans it made before the pandemic. It will offer 30 all-electric models worldwide by the middle of the decade. By the end of 2025, 40% of its U.S. models will be battery electric vehicles. The company plans to include crossovers, SUVs, sedans, and trucks in its electric vehicle lineup. It will also source 100% renewable energy to power its U.S. sites by 2030 and global sites by 2035. That's five years faster than it previously announced its global goal. So how exciting is this? The 112-year-old auto giant also unveiled a new corporate logo this month to signify its new direction as it openly pivots to electric vehicles. It wants to be seen as a clean vehicle company rather than a builder of cloud-spewing gas-powered pickups and SUVs. So I want to give a shout-out to Mary Bauer. I am so excited about she's taking a big, bold goal and she's saying this is the future. It must be about a clean energy future. And she is not letting the pandemic be a challenge. She's letting it be an opportunity. Go, Mary. Now let's get back to our final conversation with Daniel Epstein. unreasonable.is. Um, you're, you're also storytelling. And I want our listeners to get it that, you know, they come to us and they go, well, here's our issue. How do I tell a story? But you have your stories are marvelous. It takes time for them to bubble up, but they're real. So and that's powerful. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, the stories of especially the entrepreneurs that we support, I'm, I mean, they do tell themselves. Like you could have a podcast interview with every single one of these CEOs and just be enamored, <laughs> like completely. And so I think, you know, in terms of the stories that we tell through, through our you know, media arm, I am, it's really, I, we don't, we're not embellishing it at all uh, in any way. It's just the, the personal stories of these, it's, it's rare, right? I guess the way I'd put it is I'm, there's no, there's no shortage of capital, especially in today's world. There's so much money on the sidelines. There's no shortage of great ideas, right? We all have them all the time. At least we think they are. We have them all the time. But there is, there's a dearth of courage in the world and that it takes a very special person to risk everything towards trying to reimagine the status quo I, and to trying to, you know, bring, I guess, bring more justice back into it. I, and, and that is just a hard path to go on. And so the stories are really easy to tell because if you dig into the story you know, of the person who kind of gave up everything to try to look at, you know, food security or insecurity in Bangladesh or to launch a hydrogen cell powered vehicle out of Wales with, you know, no business doing that or whatever that might be, they're just remarkable. I, I, and I, and you know, the stories of grit and perseverance and of, you know, bleeding edge technology and purpose. And it's, and it all just, comes together. So naturally we had to become a storytelling engine too. So are you 
shooting stories, obviously videos, for your partners like for Barclays and Shell and others? Yeah, yeah. We we think it's core to uh, actually like the broader um, intentionality around repurpose, repurposing capitalism. Like if we just kept these stories within the walls of our programs, you know, how dare we <laughs> in essence? And so I think our partners feel the same way. Um, obviously, they, they want the stories of this work out there too. Um, but I, um, yes, yeah. So in essence, we work with all of our partners um, on a storytelling component, but it's not... Just to get back to that, it's not about sponsorship. It's, it is like authentic stories. So do you show like get into like conversations between Barclays and one of their, um, you know, companies that they're sponsoring or fellowships and that you talk about the good, the bad and the ugly? You know, we have not done that, but we should. That'd be fun. The challenges. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm envisioning actually uh, something on either Netflix or Hulu yeah. about <laughs> the about some of these. There was so a point. We, we, can talk we were actually looking at uh, a Netflix show uh, at, at one point. Uh, then we just figured, you know what, let's just do what we're doing right now really well. Yeah, it might, <laughs> it might then, divert your, and, but divert then your at attention. Some point, yeah, because the world does need to hear these stories, right? Like who knew you can make chicken out of carbon dioxide or that you could have a, you know, a farm in an urban environment that's 400 times more efficient. So in terms of uh, best practices in your storytelling, um, obviously Barclays PR team, you know, they want to do it this way. And, you know, so, and I don't want to say anything bad about them. So, but they have their rules and regs, right? And then Shell has theirs and your other partners have theirs. How do you break through that to make sure that they're really human, they're really authentic? So what's your special sauce? I think it's just, I am... We, we can show what we've done in the past and just the quality of it. And so that just eases the tensions. I think when it's, when it's, I am um, theoretical, it's, a, it's, it's harder. Um, you know, which is why like, you know, like Barclays being one of our first like substantial parts, they did take a lot of uh, courage, creative courage, right. <laughs> to align yeah. with something called <laughs> unreasonable. Uh, that was like, Hey, we're going to do all these things together. Um, but now that, that we can point to it, right. We can share the media. We can show the success of it. We can show like the business success of it. It's, it's a lot easier than to get um, you know, a PR team behind it. And the truth is, is that the PR teams of you know, most all of our partners are in love with the work that we're doing together because it, it is a story. Gen- it's real. Yeah. Real, yeah, it's it's, oh, right? it's a huge story generator. Do you ever work with not for profit? I mean, I know you were not for profit way back when, but let's just say hunger. There's a lot of not for profits. We work with One Action Against Hunger. Um, they do a lot of most of their work in Africa. But do you sometimes take on not for profits to try and scale them? You know, we we don't, and that's not to say that I am. That's not like needed in the world immensely and that the work of these nonprofits isn't critically important. It's just, we've just chosen to focus. Um, and by focusing, we can just add more value where we do play. Um, we do bring in nonprofit leaders as mentors though. Certainly I am. And I, I occasionally will take some of our tools, like what we refer to as a brain trust, which is a, a two hour session where we can get a lot of resources to a company. We'll, we'll run that for nonprofits. Uh, when we have the bandwidth to do that just outside of the fellowship though. Yeah. Yeah. What, what have you learned? Okay. So COVID has touched us all and, and, you know, you were very much, your model was face to face groups working <laughs> together. You even have, do you still have unreasonable at sea? Uh, no, no, we that? just did that once. It was operation. Okay. Uh, 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 sounded good. <laughs> 
So, so what did you, what did you do to shift during this year? And what have you learned from that, that you will apply when we can get back together? Yeah. Everything that we did was around physical convenience. So creating trust in person. If you would have told, if you would have asked me uh, a year ago, Hey, can you do this? remotely, I would say, no, <laughs> nobody can, can't create that <laughs> level of depth of relationship through a screen. Um, and some of that's true, but um, really what we've learned is that, act, that actually there are some, some big benefits um, to being able to um, take our programming virtual. Part of it is, so when we run a brain trust, right, that is a, it's a specific session, um, uh, the kind of methodology for ideation and prototyping from Google X from uh, the D school at Stanford and IDEO. We've kind of merged it all together into our own hodgepodge thing. And you get 12 people together, temporary board of advisors who work on a particular problem. And it, it ends with a bunch of commitments from those people. I, I had what's amazing about doing it virtually is curation. We can get anybody from across the globe. So we, we can get this like truly irreplicable, irreplicable board of directors together for two hours. It's not a huge ask. And no matter what your problem is, we can typically source like a really powerful uh, group. Um, the other benefit is time away from family is um, hard on everybody. And so when we would typically run a program in the past, it would be two weeks. Uh, we would take the CEO fully immersive in person and gathering in some remote location somewhere in essence. And that's hard on their families and on their teams. I am, and so not needing to have that much of a removal um, allows more people to be able to access the fellowship um, and not have that, that be a constraint um, towards joining us. But I think more importantly, um, you know, our programs, we refer to it as cheesy. We say it's a spark to a flame. And the program is the point of induction. The flame is you're in the fellowship for life. We're going to support you continually year round. And, but as with a global community, like we have that support outside of our programs has to be virtual. It just doesn't work in person because we're distributed all around the world. And so what we've, figure out how to do is, is actually get really good at creating this strong sense of trust and community and productivity virtually. I mean, what we miss is uh, the white space of being together in person where you don't have something programmed and people just connect on a different level. We miss, you know, the most powerful table, I believe is not the boardroom table, it's the dinner table. Uh, and we miss, you know, sitting around a table, breaking bread and talking about family or whatever that might take you. Um, and so we'll bring those parts back in when the world kind of normalizes, but we're going to keep uh, so much of the virtual program because it's just been so effective. So we are almost winding down. I could talk to you forever, but I want to I want to do something new. It's called the lightning round. Give me five to ten of your favorite types of companies. Just like what do they do? Uh, Lonza Tech. Um, they I. Uh, convert uh, carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide into polyethylene and jet fuel. So Virgin Atlantic flies their airliners now on recycled carbon. I am, it's a uh, recycled jet fuel. Oh, um, incredible. Which, uh, okay, good one. Uh, air protein that I mentioned, I just think it's crazy. Uh, the name says it all. You can make chicken out of air. Uh, 1MG, they're the largest mobile healthcare company in India, uh, 37 million users on it. I'm um, doing remote healthcare across the subcontinent. Zero mass water, we talked about that, but atmospheric water generation. Uh, River Simple out in, out in Wales, it's a, um, an ultra-efficient hydrogen cell-powered vehicle. Take a liter of uh, hydrogen, the only thing that comes out of the exhaust pipe is hot water. It gets 300 miles to a liter. Greenlight Planet, they're bringing distributed solar to over 20 million people who formerly had kerosene and no electricity. Uh, they're a profitable business doing that. 
Classcraft. Classcraft is a company actually based out of Canada, um, gamified learning. I am looking at things like grit and emotional intelligence and teamwork. Um, they now have 9 million students on the platform. They're, they're in over 180 countries. They're in one in three schools in the U.S. now. I expect you know, COVID was an accelerant for that in a lot of ways. Uh, Andiamo, uh, 3D printing orthotics and prosthetic limbs. Um, I, one-tenth, one-tenth the time, much more functional, half the price. I am, work with companies like Elvis and Cressy. Uh, they're, they're out of London. They're taking... I waste materials, waste leather, um, old fire hoses, and they're converting it into, you know, like beautiful bags and products, uh, 100% closed loop. You know, Bridge Academies, uh, based out of Kenya, fastest growing chain of schools on the planet. Average tuition is $3 a month. I am, they're working with a couple hundred thousand students right now who didn't have any, any formal education. I am, and these are you know, actual schools um, and centers that are being built. Um, so we could go on and on and on. I know, I know. That's great. I'm, I'm just teasing you now. Um, and which partners, which corporate partners are funding those um, unreasonable impacts? Is it is it Barclays and others and Shell and this and this and that? How many of those? Yeah, right now we work with uh, Barclays. Uh, we work with Ernst & Young. We work with Accenture, uh, Fossil, as I mentioned, Pearson, Shell, um, we're working with the Walton um, family. Um, we worked with the U.S. State Department, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft. Working with the Walton Family Foundation? Are you working with Carol? Yes, actually, yeah. Oh, she's <laughs> one of my favorite people. She was the former, yes, CEO of, of Unison. Oh, that's amazing. She's, yep. Oh, she's delightful, yep. yeah. Yep, yeah. She's really wonderful. Yeah. So, oh God, I hate to end this, but we're going to do more because, uh, you know what I'd love to do? I would love to do as a follow-on to do like really quick interviews with maybe a dozen of your funded organizations. So why don't you think about that? I mean, really quick, we can give them like, here's three questions, boom, boom, boom. So that's what I'd love to do. And then the last thing is, um, and certainly not least, well, three insights, and I have to narrow this down, for a company, because, you know, most of the people who listen to this and most of our clients, they're, they're large companies and they want to have authentic social impact. So whether they're, I mean, obviously I'd say, gosh, you got to work with these guys. But, you know, you're very select. You can't work with, you know, everyone in the world. But what are the three insights you want to leave to them about when they are going to fund, whether it's their own accelerator or their not-for-profit partnerships towards their social issue? What's the three most important things they should think about? I think that they, they definitely need to have um, leadership on it internally who can work cross-functionally. Um, I think that's critical, right? So I mentioned the citizenship team at Barclays. Um, we work with the DOC, which is the Center for Innovation at Accenture. Like these, these are teams that can pull on anybody across the entire organization. That's just remarkably important. Um, I would say look at depth and breadth. I am of, of employee engagement. So depth means like meaningfully showing up and dropping in with these companies to try to you know, help find new solutions or, or, or you know, um, things that you could potentially do together. Um, but uh, you can only do that with so many people, right? I, and so the breadth is then through the storytelling. I am, I, I, and, you know, we'll, we'll, run, we'll run events, but we'll engage, you know, 2,000 employees across Barclays um, who can also at scale actually add value, but it's like a, it's a, it's a much bigger thing. You know, we built, built platforms to be able to do that. Um, and the third one though, would just be align 
the uh, mission of that work with the core of the company. And like, once again, sponsorship is AstroTurf. And if it's, it needs to be a business imperative, right? So why, why does this business in particular care about this social and environmental issue? I've said that that should align directly with the trajectory of the business. And if it does, then it's real, right? Then it's, you know, shared value or whatever we want to call that. Um, but I would uh, ensure that's there. The, you know, the last thing is just, um, it is important to have uh, buy-in from the top yeah, as well. You need like, you need that entrepreneurial person or team who can kind of hustle, but then also I am um, to get uh, kind of top the highest levels of leadership, the C-suite or the board engaged. I am, um, it just pays dividends because it allows it to last. And, and uh, it's fantastic. Those are great, great. I love the, and love the order in which you did that. Um, have you ever done an ROI on this? Like, so for Barclay, Shell or whatever, and they've invested X. And then do they ask you to do some KPIs that say the outcome oh, yeah. after year two, three is, mm-hmm. what's the ROI? Is there an average ROI or a base level ROI? It's so different because they're getting different things from it, right? So for, for Shell, uh, it might be like R&D. Right. I am. And for Barclays, it could be business development. And for uh, Accenture, it could be client development. So they're they're so different. I will say, though, I'm, you know, all all of our partners right now are actively renewing partnerships with us. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you have a waiting? You must have a waiting list. uh, Yeah, there's definitely a list and we only have so much capacity. We're not, you know, and we're not going to. I am scale and franchise or anything like that. We're keeping it intimate intentionally. But I would say too, if anybody's listening and wants to talk, obviously we'd love to jam, love to have a conversation. And if we can't be helpful, we also probably know some folks who can. Oh, that's, that's really cool. So what's next for Daniel Epstein? Besides getting, dare I say, I want, <laughs> oh, oh, oh getting married. That's the biggest thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're going to get married sometime next year because we're just waiting for COVID to be done. <laughs> you know, we don't want the slingshot there. That's probably the biggest thing that's next. And, you know, just, I mean, for me, the culture is the most important thing and trying to figure out how to do it really well remotely is, is hard. I am, and so that's a big push. And then yeah, obviously the launch of the Unreasonable Collective that we talked about is something that I am just remarkably excited about. Daniel, this has been phenomenal. I knew it would be. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so glad that we stayed in touch over the years because I have this tremendous amount of pride watching you grow and flourish and the, the amount of scale that you are having an impact, you know, when you were that 18 year old and you're writing in your journal, you know, what should I do? I mean, God, and you've got such a, a continually long runway ahead of you, which is, yeah, we're just getting you know, started, you should Carol. basically, <laughs> we're yeah, you should one. be on the cover of, have you been on the cover of fast company yet? No, <laughs> you should be. You're too kind. You're way too no, you're kind. Right. You absolutely you should be. <laughs> Maybe so we 20 have a whole years, of, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 sooner than that. So anyway, it's been a delight. I want to thank you so much. I wish you the best of success, uh, both in all the unreasonable children as well as your marriage. Yeah, thank you. And um, I always like to end our conversations uh, to ask our listeners, which is exactly what you did when you were 18 years old in your journal, what do you stand for? <laughs>